Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Okay, if I'm particularly feisty today, we'll just attribute it to that first dose of the vaccine. Yes, I, I got it. And it was it was sort of interesting. I was having discussions. Say, well, you know, I had COVID before, and the pharmacist was saying, well, then, then you should take vitamin A. Okay, I'll, I'll take vitamin A. So that, that, that'll, that'll be better. But it doesn't matter. Got it. So far, doing absolutely fine. And again, a, a special shout out to all the volunteers that are there. And that was really my big takeaway from the experience this morning. I, I got it through a, a church in Mequon, yeah, Mequon United Methodist Church, um, which is not my church, but I found out that they were doing them. And they, the, the volunteers, the, the way they started this out, as I mentioned to Steve Scafidi just a couple of minutes ago, they, they got involved because they, they saw that there was a need. They, they had, I think, a number of parishioners who were really struggling with the arcane system that we had set up where, you know, if you wanted a, if you qualified and you wanted a vaccine, here, go go on a website at 10 a.m. in the morning and be there at 10 because by 10.02 it's going to be filled up. Or here, you know, they, they open this website to make appointments at 3 o'clock in the morning. Or, or here, you have to download this app and do that and a lot of the people it was just beyond them so they saw this need and they they set it up and and interestingly at this particular place th- there's actually human beings that you talk to there are these wonderful men and women who volunteer and you know they, they schedule the appointments and they work around you and they, they partnered with a local pharmacy and um it's just it does show what can happen when communities come together and um i think i was by far and away the youngest person that was in there this morning but that's okay you know, that, that's okay. Got mine and scheduled to go back in three weeks to get the second one. All right. I want to get started. There was a story on Channel 12, which candidly, an editor, I think, should have killed it because I, I understand what the purpose of the story was. But this rush that we have in some media outlets to try to dramatize stuff and make things into stories that they're not. I think is is very, very disappointing, and I think it's bad for this country. Right now, the big thing that we're talking about is is Asian crime against Asian Americans, right? That that's what the template is, you know, because Donald Trump a year ago started referring to COVID nineteen as the China flu, and, and as a result, the the argument is that there's all these increasing numbers of of hate crimes against Asian Americans, and it's kind of questionable whether the numbers bear that out. But what you see is you see this desire from the media to try to turn everything into. A, a, a hate crime. For example, you, you had the shooting last week in Atlanta where the crazy guy with the handgun kills eight people and six of them are, are Asian women, okay, at, at a massage parlor or at mas- various spas, massage parlors, whatever. All right, well, the, the headlines is, okay, th- th- are th- th- this is an example of, of Asian-American crime. Well, at least at this point in time, there's no evidence of that at all. There's no evidence that the guy was motivated to create, to carry out these horrible crimes based on, based on race or ethnicity, anything like that. It was just that the guy's statement is that, that he did it because he had the sex addiction or, or whatever. But, but yet this is being used as an example of, okay, this is indicative of crimes against like Asians. And I, 
I'm not going to argue whether or not there are crimes against Asians, but this was a crime that was against Asian Americans, but it wasn't motivated, at least based on the evidence we have now. Now, things could change, but at least right now, there's no evidence to suggest that he targeted these particular uh, people because they were Asian or Asian Americans. But yet, that's the way the story gets played. Now, why is that a bad thing? Well, it's a bad thing because, again, it tends to divide this country. It's not an endorsement of committing crimes against any particular group. But for example, if you happen to be a gay man and you get mugged, well, maybe you were just mugged because you were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Every gay man, for example, that gets mugged isn't mugged because he's a gay man. I mean, it's just that that's it. If I get mugged because I'm a middle-aged white guy, it, it might be not be that I'm being targeted because I'm a middle-aged white guy. It might just very well be that, hey, you know, it was a crime of opportunity. But yet we try to pigeonhole all these things and say this is because of this, this was because of that. So the, the story on Channel 12, and I, I, I was watching this, and I was kind of figuring out where does this go? Well, the, the story is about how in Shorewood, earlier this week, people have rallied around an Asian restaurant And the argument for rallying around the Asian restaurant was that the Asian restaurant had apparently been, they they were victims of a racist, xenophobic attack. And so the community rallies around to show that the Asian restaurant is, is really welcome and to respond to the attack. And I was sitting there thinking, huh, this is kind of an interesting story. I mean, did this really happen in, in Shorewood? And, and you wouldn't think of it happening in Shorewood, but that doesn't mean it, it couldn't. So, you know, I, I'm watching the story, and, and you have to kind of go through this story to figure out what really happened. Well, here, here's apparently the what, what ultimately happened. There is, there's a guy in Shorewood who is well-known to the police, who apparently has a history of going into restaurants, stores, etc., and being disruptive, right? So it's it's just, I mean, one of those people, you know? I mean, just imagine, you know, the, the person, you know, talking to themselves, walking in that starts screaming and being disruptive. And, and again, the guy is well-known to the police. So what happens, well, the way this story is presented is that a guy goes into this Asian restaurant on Oakland Avenue and starts screaming racial slurs and being disruptive at the at the folks who run this place. And then this is what gets out on, on social media. On social media, apparently, there's all these posts saying a guy walked in to uh, this Nana Asian fusion and sushi bar on Oakland Avenue and was yell, yelling racist slurs at employees and throwing trash on the floor. So that that's what's all over social media. Okay, and so and then the people in the community are responding by saying, hey, we're going to go there. We're going to patronize this place. We're going to tell them that we don't put up with that kind of stuff in Shorewood. A perfectly legitimate response, except as it turns out, those posts were incorrect. Anyhow, Shorewood police are saying, look, we've investigated this. And as near as we can tell, there were no racial slurs or anything like that used. The restaurant manager says there's no racial slurs during during the incident. According to the police, the guy involved, like I say, is well known to the officers. So he, he's one of these people that I think has done stuff like this before. Apparently on Monday, 
What he does is he walks into one of the bars on Oakland Avenue, the Three Lions Pub, and that's a it's a bar run by some expatriate British guys. As a matter of fact, good good bar, been there on multiple occasions. So the guy goes in there and starts disruptive. Says the employee said the guy was there, he was yelling, he was rude, and just being overall disruptive inside the Three Lions Pub. Then he leaves there and he goes next door into the, this Asian fusion restaurant. And apparently he, he does the, the same thing. He's just rude and yelling. And look, and I don't know if there's mental illness that's involved or whatever, but he is disruptive. But at, at least according to what the manager was saying at the time, he wasn't, he wasn't screaming, um, again, racist sort of terms or racial slurs or anything like that. He was just being disruptive like he was next door at the, um, at the, at the Three Lions pub. Um, he was just, he was rude. So, you know, he, he leaves and then somehow this gets blown out of proportion on social media. Oh, you had this guy that was there and he was yelling the racist slurs and he was saying all this stuff. And that's, that's not true. That's just not what happened. The guy was clearly disruptive. He created an incident just like he had created an incident at the other place next door. But it didn't, at least based on the evidence, have anything to do, again, with the ethnicity or or the race of the owners. And yet this gets played up on social media and the headlines on the newspaper and the, and the, and the TV story were, okay, you know, race, racist incident at, at this particular place. And it, and it wasn't a racist incident. Now, I think it is wonderful that people in the community decide that they, they want to support this particular restaurant. And I think if, if the word gets out that, gee, you know, they had an incident there and here, we want to make sure these people feel welcome, that, that's great. But this this wasn't a hate crime. And the, the fact that, you know, you had this character who goes in and creates a disruption at an Asian restaurant doesn't mean it's an Asian, it's a hate crime against Asians any more than the guy creating the same sort of disturbance at the place next door, which is a, a, a British pub, means that he, he's got a hatred of, of the Brits. It's that the guy is a crazy guy. Now, I understand that there are, again, real examples of racism and that there's all sorts of examples of, of hate crimes that need to be punished. Again, if the people in Shorewood want to support this restaurant, Restaurant and say, hey, we, we we love to have you here. That that's great. But but this wasn't at least based on all the evidence. It, it wasn't a hate crime, and by even portraying it or social media, oh, this had to have been a hate crime. Making that assumption, what you do is you minimize. I, I think those very real situations when you do have hate crimes, whether they're against people because of their sexual orientation or because of their race or because of their religion or because of their ethnicity. And in this case, this was none of them. This was just some crazy guy who was wandering into different businesses, screaming and yelling and creating disruptions. I, I think we just need to kind of dial some of this, well, everything's got to be a hate crime back and focus on those examples of the stuff that really are hate crimes. All right, when we come back, the Milwaukee School Board caves in a big way. You wouldn't know it from some of the headlines, but they did. We'll discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Hey, Brewers fans, our very own Greg Matzik has received a non-roster invite to spring training. He's not playing for the Brew Crew, of course, but you can join him for the ride as he gets an all-access look inside Brewers spring training. Join us all week long during all your favorite WTMJ shows. It's Greg Matzik's spring training trip. It is all this week, sponsored by Trex, the number one name in outdoor living. All right.
Yesterday, last night, well into the early morning hours, the Milwaukee School Board had a a seven-hour meeting discussing whether or not they were going to open the schools to in-person instruction. The Milwaukee School District, MPS, one of the few school districts in the state and one of an increasingly few number of school districts in the country that have not had in-person school. Um, they, they've offered the virtual. So the, the plan was essentially to reopen. And the MPS board, well, what they did is that they sort of had half a loaf here. What they said is that, all right, students will have, and by the way, as we've talked about before, the teachers union opposes this. The teachers union does not want to go back into classes, despite the fact that, in, in most, like I say, school districts across the state, the kids are now back either full-time, in-person learning five days a week or some hybrid form of that, and in many cases have been since September with no major problems. But the MPS Teachers Union doesn't want to go back to school. The school board, uh, many of whom were elected with support from the union, Here's what they said. They said, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to open the schools to in-person learning because we understand that virtual learning is a poor substitute. April 14th, we're going to bring back kindergarten through third grade. All right. April 19th, we're going to bring back grades four through eight. And it's going to be four days a week with Wednesday taken off um, so the classrooms can be cleaned. And we're going to use remote learning then. All right. That, that's all. That's all well and good. April 26th which is, what, a month from now. They're going to open this high schools, but they're really not going to open the high schools because the only kids that they're going to allow back into MPS high schools are either seniors, presumably so they can spend their last month in, in school, or high school students who are failing at least one class. So what that means, and I guess I don't know how many students at MPS are failing at least one class, but what that means in theory is freshmen, sophomores, and juniors are still not going to be allowed to go back into the classroom. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm sorry. Give, give me a break. It is way past time to open up the schools to all the kids. And I'm like, I have no problem with shutting it down the one day so that you can sanitize it. But but seriously, given the fact that it is the high school students who arguably are falling further and further behind. Keep in mind, these high school students haven't had in-person learning at MPS for over a year now. And what this means is, if you are a freshman, sophomore, or a junior, you will now effectively go almost a year and a half without having in-person learning this, to me, is a cave-in to the teachers' union. There is no reason in God's green earth why all the kids shouldn't have had the option to go back. And for, like in our newscast, we, we play some quotation from some mother who says, well, I just don't think it's safe to send my kids back. Fine, you, you don't have to send your kids back. But I don't believe the overwhelming majority of parents think that that's a good idea. 855-616-1620. All right, I think this was a cave-in to the teachers' union. I think it doesn't make any sense at all to say freshmen, sophomores, and juniors, you can't go back to school unless you're failing. All right. But what about the kids that are struggling to to get by but not failing? Don't 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 they matter? 855-616-1620 we discuss. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
If you have a high schooler at MPS, freshman, sophomore, or junior, you were sold out last night by the school board who has decided, well, we're going to, at the end of the month, we're going to open up the schools to allow kids to come back in. But if you're in high school, unless you're a senior or unless you're failing, sorry, you continue to be trapped in the nightmare that is virtual learning. Mike in West Bend. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Good. What do you think? Good, good. Well, I live in, I work in West Bend, um, live in Kewaskum. Uh, Kewaskum has been open since day one, five days a week, all year, have not shut down one day of school for COVID. Lamira School District, the same. It's only about not even an hour north of Milwaukee. Is there like a COVID cloud <laughs> that hangs over Milwaukee that we can't go to school? I mean, what, what's, what's the problem? Well, well, and especially since in Milwaukee, you got to understand the teachers were fast-tracked for vaccines. And so, I mean, the, the teachers have been eligible for vaccines, you know, for, for quite a while now. And I, I think last right. time I saw only about half of them, last numbers I saw, only about half of them had chosen to get vaccinated. Well, okay, that's the decision they make. But you're right. At some point in time, if everybody else around here, whether it's Kewaskum or whether it's Pewaukee or whether it's West Dallas or whether, you know, you name it, uh, you know, Ozaki, Mequon Ozaki, all those school districts, they're able to come back. They've been back, not to mention all the private and parochial schools. Right. Is, is there some sort of cloud in Milwaukee that the teachers can't teach the high school kids? Give me a break. I mean, are they like are they they're, they're more afraid in Milwaukee? They're more susceptible to catching COVID than any place else. I mean, they're but they're sure getting paid, right? Well, well you bet you they're getting thank you. No, you bet they're, they're they're sure getting paid. And on top of this, I mean, I thought and see, this is what's been driving me nuts lately. I, I've been listening for a year that we're told that we have to follow the science, follow the science, follow the science. OK, well, what does the science say? The Biden administration, the CDC, they say you can reopen the schools. There is no problem with reopening the schools. They've cut down the guidance six feet to three feet. All right, that's what the science says. You can reopen the schools, but the MPS school board decides to cave into pressure from their number one constituency, the teachers union, and high schools continue to be closed with the exceptions we've talked about. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let me catch up on a couple of the texts. Jeff, teachers have had their opportunity to get the COVID nineteen vaccine um, ahead of those folks who are at greater risk due to their health. It's way past time for them to get back to schools. Uh, Jeff, so if a freshman is failing, the teacher still has to come in to teach um, at least him and maybe only one kid. They're more likely to get it from other teachers in the building than the kids. Send them all back. Jeff, schools are open everywhere. Kids need to be in school. MPS needs to do that also. Um, Jeff, so sad MPS teachers fail students again and again and no word from the mayor of Milwaukee. He's trying to boost, probably trying to boost hop ridership. Well, good luck with that one. But, but again, the, the mayor, public schools are beyond the control of the mayor. But at the same time, that's something that affects the livability of our community. Um, Jeff, 
best thing we ever did was sell our home in Milwaukee and move to West Allis. The schools were the main reason we left. We've been in hybrid since February and are back full time now. No issues. No one has gotten sick. Looks like we've got to really look at uh, who we consider to be heroes um, nowadays moving forward. Um, Jeff. MPS isn't listening to the CDC, the Biden administration, the parents, or even some of the teachers. It's pretty clear MPS only has one group in interest, and that would be the teachers' union. Um, yeah, well, I think that there is definitely that factor. That's the big pressure. I mean, the head of the teachers' union yesterday was making phone calls to the school board saying that it's it's just unacceptable. Nobody can consider voting to bring kids back. And think about, you want to talk about a nonsensical position. If the argument is going to be that it's it's just flat-out unsafe in the city of Milwaukee to bring kids back, despite the fact that we know kids in the city of Milwaukee who are going to private and parochial schools have been going to school you know, since the beginning of the school year last September. But if it's so dangerous to bring kids back, well, well why, why are we bringing eighth graders back? I mean, what's, seriously, what's the difference between eighth graders and freshmen and sophomores in high school? I mean, really, if, if this is the issue, it is just so very, very unsafe, you can't do it, well, then... What, what What is magic? Okay, you're 14 and you're in eighth grade, and now you're 14 and you're a freshman in high school. you got to stay home, but the 14-year-old eighth grader has to go. It it doesn't make any sense at all. Let's talk to Steve in Milwaukee. Steve, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Steve. Steve, uh, can you hear me? Okay. I can. Go Go ahead. You're on the air. Great. Yeah, the, my, my question is... Um, I, I do think that the politicians have uh, some responsibility in all this. Uh, first of all, I, I'd like to ask a question about the school board. Uh, how do they? How do the school board members get onto, onto that board? They're elected. They're elected. They're, so to me, it's the, it's the citizens that are the problem yeah. because they keep putting these board members back on. on to yeah. me, they should all be in class, and if most if most parents believe that their kids should be in school, why do they keep putting these board members in in place? Well, That's what I'm trying to understand. Oh, no, well, no, I, I think because typically what happens, typically, there are exceptions, but typically what happens in these school board elections is the teachers' union chooses who its candidates are. And the teachers' union has enough sway in the community. They're able to turn out votes. They're able to put money in. And they're able to elect their candidates who are then beholden to the teachers' union moving forward because that's the dominant force that gets people elected. And there are a couple exceptions. But in general, whoever the teachers' union endorses, that's who ends up getting elected. And so then once they get on the board, well, they know where the bread is buttered and they're not going to buck the teachers' union. And when the head of the teachers' union calls and says, we don't want to go back, well, all right, that that's where you have some of the influence, I think. So, no, th- thanks for calling. I mean, I, that's, that's the best explanation that I, I can give to you for this. Now, I, I do, whenever we talk about this stuff, and I, I want to be real clear here, and I, I tried to make this distinction yesterday. To me, there is a difference between the teachers' union and the rank-and-file teachers' And, I mean, here's a a text I have that that kind of breaks that point. Jeff, I'm an MPS teacher. Please don't lump us all together. Almost all of the teachers I know want to be back. It's the elected school board that's the problem. We need to elect better people. Well, okay, and I, I take that for what it's worth, but that's not it. It's your elected union bosses who then, you know, have the school board members 
in their pocket who are then able to influence. So, yeah, yes, do you need to have better people in school board who are looking out more for the interest of the community? Unquestionably, 100%. But let's understand the school board, at least in my opinion, is folding to the demands of the teachers union. And if that means it's the teachers union board, okay, that's fine. And I understand that there's a lot of rank and file teachers that want to go back. I, I get it. I understand that, that they recognize it's not working and they recognize that the longer this goes on, I mean, just think about, this is one of the frustrating things to me about MPS. You have a school system that I'm going to say it's failing, but I don't know that that's necessarily fair. But there, there's when when you look at the achievement levels of people in MPS and you kids in MPS, and you compare it to achievement levels of lots and lots of other school districts across the state, the the, the kids at MPS are lagging behind. And there's all sorts of reasons for that. I, I get it. There's there's the whole family issue, and there's all those different things. But but that gap has been made a lot worse over the last year by, again, just not allowing the kids to, to not requiring the kids to go into school. And, and I mean, the horror stories, you should see the texts I get from people just talking about the horror stories involving the kids who have just completely and totally punched out. There are so many kids who can't afford to skip a year who have essentially skipped a year. That, that's, that is what's happened. And if there was an achievement gap two years ago, imagine what that achievement gap is now if you have a, an MPS, okay, eighth grader, all right, who had, all right, let's take, like, take somebody who was in eighth grade last year. Okay, no, no in-person school for the, the balance of their eighth grade year. No in-person school now for their entire freshman year. I mean, it's, it's going to be, again, a year and a half of education before they're expected to be back in the classroom. What do you think, if that kid was behind other eighth graders across the state before, what do you think they're going to be like um, that now? Jeff, too bad that uh, teachers' unions have more sway in school board elections than media talk show hosts. Well, there is an element to that. I think that sometimes, but that's why I always say elections have consequences. People end up making you know, their decision. Jeff, what I don't get is why they're sending K through third grade back and that the high school teachers at the same time, because don't they all go to the same school? Well, no, high schools are different than, than that. But I, I think it's tough to explain why the eighth grader, can go back to school in person, but the high schooler can't. Um, Jeff, the teacher's union is optional since 2010. That's Act 10. I was forced to be in it and pay dues for 20 years, but my last 10 years, I ended up getting out of it. All I'm saying is I think last night was an opportunity for the school board to stand up for the taxpayers and for the parents of the city of Milwaukee. They blew that opportunity. Back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Hey, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. A couple of tweets, um, one about what we just talked about, the I think the decision that the MPS school board made to cave into the teachers union and denying most MPS high schoolers access to in-person learning. Actually, a couple of people were even texting saying, you know, if we had kids at MPS, we'd encourage them to fail one class so they could then get back into school. I mean, that's what it's come. To. That's what it's come to. You know, if, if you want your kids to be able to learn, I don't know, maybe pick a class and say, okay, this one you're going to fail and then you can get back and you can have in-person instruction for the rest. Okay, the other 
the other post that I sent out, and something we talked about a couple months ago, but I am pleased to report that the long national nightmare is over. Now, I'm not talking about, like, availability of toilet paper at a Costco, but grape nuts, you know, the post-breakfast cereal, that um, grape nuts that are, are neither grapes nor are they nuts, but grape nuts has, you know, there was a crisis because during the COVID pandemic, long story short, what happened is post cereal had to start prioritizing. You know, they were, they were, they were, they were having trouble getting some products. They were closing down a couple plants, et cetera, et cetera. So what they ended up having to do is they had to say, okay, we've got to concentrate on producing the cereal that sells the most. So if, you know, post whatever, um, if this brand of cereal, brand A, I know Post doesn't make uh, Post doesn't make Special K, but if like okay, if for every twenty boxes of Special K we sell, we sell one box of grape nuts. But what we want to do is we want to make sure we're producing the Special K. We don't want the Special K people. And again, I know Special K is made by Pet Kellogg's, but follow me on this. You know, we we there's many more people. There's a higher demand for Special K than there is for grape nuts. So we're we're not going to concentrate on making grape nuts. Well, what happened is. There, there was this huge backlash. Who would have known? Because the people that like grape nuts, whoever you are, um, gets got very militant about it. And there ended up being this huge black market for, for grape nuts to the point that you would see. Matter of fact, I think it was one of our listeners that texted me. He found like, like four boxes of grape nuts somewhere and bought them and then sold them on eBay for stupid money, like, like 20 bucks a piece or something like that. And then he promptly told me that, you know, he was, he was giving the money to charity. He wasn't just completely and totally profiteering off the desire for grape nuts. But, um, if you, if you are one of those people that for whatever reason absolutely has to have grape nuts, I am proud to tell you that the grape nut shortage is over. Plus, plus, the cereal is now shipping at full capacity to stores. And if you paid wildly inflated prices on the black market to get your hands on a box, you may be eligible for reimbursement. Okay, the woman who is in charge, the brand manager for grape nuts at Post Consumer Brands, her name is Kristen DeRock, she says, it became abundantly clear during the shortage that grape nuts fans are nuts for grape nuts. So much so, so much so that some of our loyal super fans were willing to pay extreme prices just to ensure that they wouldn't be without their favorite crunchy cereal. To which I, I would say this is another example of if you can spend $25 to buy a box of grape nut cereal, that is God's way of telling you that you have too much money. So anyhow, what they said is the brand is going to be coming back. And um, what they will do is they will make arrangements. For example, cereal fans who paid $10 or more for a box of Grape Nuts Original Cereal between November 1st and March 15th are eligible to submit a valid retailer or e-retailer receipt for a partial refund of up to $115.00 to help cover the difference between the amount paid and the suggested retail price of a Grape Nuts original cereal box purchased. For example, an actual purchase price of $20 for one box will qualify for a $15 refund. Um, According to the offer's fine print, the total of the partial refunds will be limited to $10,000. There's also a limit, $10,000, man, that's a lot of Grape Nuts cereal boxes. There's also a limit of one partial refund claim per household mailing address. And so, now the key is, of course, you, you have to, 
you have to have your grocery store receipts. You can't just be saying, hey, I paid $25 at Walmart for a box of grape nuts. But if you have, in fact, been gouged on the secondary grape nut market and you're a grape nut fan, they're coming back, and grape nuts might be willing to help reimburse you. Who would have thought? Who would have thought there would have been a grape nuts crisis? You learn something new every day. And this is Jeff Wagner. A year ago, the pandemic was taking hold. Millions were laid off. The stock market plunged. Investor confidence was low. As we recover, what will you do differently with your plan and your investments? Join Dave Spano from Annex Wealth Management on Wednesday, March 31st. That is one week from today at 6 p.m. for a special webinar, Investing in a Post-COVID World with our very own Steve Scafidi. This free webinar is open to all fans who are interested in what's next in the markets and investing. To find out more, please visit the features page at W. WTMJ.com and sign up today. It's interesting how people who have long careers can have their careers defined by by what they do in a particular period. By that, I mean uh, George Siegel, the the noted actor, passed away this week at the age of 87. Rue, do you know George Siegel? Do you know who he was? No, I think the only thing I'd know him from would be the Goldbergs, the but Goldbergs. I never really watched it. Right. Uh, Melissa, do you know do you know who George Siegel was? Yes, I, I did. And again, the Goldbergs, but before, way before that as okay. well. Well, right. See, George Siegel, who, who passed away, was a very, and, and, and that, that's kind of my point. It's sort of this generational thing. In the, in the 60s and the 70s, George Siegel was a very, very well-known popular actor who starred in lots and lots of movies he in the 60s he had the lead in in king rat which was a uh, an adaptation of a james mishner novel he's probably best known he was nominated for an oscar for the black and white movie who's afraid of virginia wolf with richard burton and elizabeth taylor and sandy dennis no, he didn't win but he was nominated for an oscar and he went on to, to star in all sorts of movies again through the 60s and 70s um and i mean was he was he paul newman was he robert redford no, but incredibly, incredibly successful. And then what ended up happening is the movie career kind of dried up and people forget about all the great movies he was in. And, and now people remember him as playing the grandfather on the Goldbergs. That, that's how he's known to several generations of people. And, and yes, I, I, I've watched the Goldbergs. And, and yeah, George, I, every time I watched it, I thought, huh, that, that's interesting that this is what George Siegel is doing in his 80s. Gee, I remember when he was starring in King Rat. I remember he was in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and now he's playing the grandfather in the Goldbergs. But at least he was acting. So a long career, a prolific career. But for people who only know him from, like, the Goldbergs and stuff, you know, take a Saturday night, go back and look at some of the movies the guy made in the 60s and 70s. You will be blown away as how, to how good an actor he actually was. George Siegel, dead at the age of 87. Sail on. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, Drew and I have decided... We're going to wait for you to get your your vaccination mm-hmm. because we're, we're ready to go on the free COVID tour. Yes, I mean I'm I'm just, I'm just looking at all the different things. Okay, <laughs> yes, so free COVID so, tour. so okay, I've had I got my first shot today. Mm-hmm. Drew has had his. You have not had yours. I'm but next. I, yeah. I'm thinking this is matter of fact. This is something where we should get the digital people to come along and and just just film this because okay, so I'm trying to figure this out. You start in West Dallas. You go to the Krispy Kreme place. 
because if you've got that little vaccination card, and I now have mine, you, you get the free Krispy Kreme donut yes. to start off with. And you can come back, as we talked about yesterday. The amazing thing is you can come back every day for the rest of the year, and they'll give you a free Krispy Kreme donut. That is amazing to me. I mean, it's unhealthy right. <laughs> to get a donut every day. But but, uh, but yeah. you know you know that there's going to be somebody, somebody that, that will do that. And you know that you're going to see him on TV or something. This mm. will be the guy that shows up every day at 8 o'clock for the one free Krispy yeah. Kreme donut. Now, Krispy Kreme is obviously hoping that most people who show up, they get the free donut and they buy uh, six donuts or whatever. But okay, so we start with Krispy Kreme, mm-hmm. okay? Then what we need to do is we need to wash down the Krispy Kreme donut. So then we head over to the east side and we head over to Black Husky Brewery and we have us, like, I, their beer, I love their spruce beer. So we have, we have us a spruce, high in alcohol, wash down the Krispy Kreme donut, right? So we, we've got that covered. So we're off to a healthy start we, in the morning. We are <laughs> off to a healthy start. And then we go to, what? There, there's some bar on the east side where you get, like, free tokens to play games oh, or that, something. Oh, uh, the up-down. Okay, all right. That's an arcade bar. Okay, an arcade so we, bar, yeah. we go there and we kill some time by playing by playing the free games. This sounds like a great Saturday. A- absolutely, forget Saturday. It sounds like a great Wednesday to me. <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, all right, but no, this will be work. You yeah. know, we'll, we'll be doing this all for oh, the yeah. digital stuff. And then did I hear you say because you is it like a shawarma place that, that a shawarma place? I don't know exactly the name of it, but okay. in that one there is a shawarma place that okay. you can get something free as well, something to eat. Okay, so then okay, so we've had the Krispy Kreme donut. <laughs> We've chased it with the black husky beer. We've killed some time by playing like skee ball or something. You get tired, and, and then we wrap yeah. it up at, at the shawarma. Now I'm not hungry. a big I'm not a big shawarma guy, but you are. I know you like that stuff. I like that stuff absolutely. So, and, and who knows what other stuff that there might be here? So I think that this is this is a plan. Huh? I, I I think it could be an all day event. It it could definitely be an all day event. I guess you. Do they, do they keep track? I mean, do you think what would happen if we went back to the same like Krispy Kreme place a couple times? You know, do you think do they think they keep track? The Krispy Kreme people have said specifically, you can come back every day with that vaccine card, and I think maybe so, just because that's a major corporation, they trust that people. Not everybody is going to be doing that every single day. No, but but you know somebody will. That's oh sure, <laughs> that's, yeah. You yeah. know, there's the going person to, living right next door, of course. I, you know, there's going to be that person. That's going to show up every day just because they want their free donut. So yep. get your free donut, and then if you come back, put a wig on the same day. Wig. Well, I would not. There you go, no. Melissa. See, but I would not. Encur- right. I would not encourage people donut. to to violate the spirit of, of this entire <laughs> thing. But yeah, that's that. I, I told the story yesterday, so but bear with me. If people weren't listening. See, I've always the, the Krispy Kreme folks. It, it, it's brilliant marketing and incredibly cheapness because they, when they would come into a new market, what they would do is they would buy advertising time, but what they would do is they would bring like a dozen donuts to the, the morning show and the, the people on, and this wasn't just here, but it was here as well, but it was on, and the people would just rave, oh my gosh, we and for three hours, we got this great, we love these Krispy Kreme donuts, and it's like, oh, buy a radio ad, well, because they didn't have to do it for the price of, you know, whatever a dozen donuts costs, you got these people raving about them. Well, so. I mean, their product speaks for themselves. Well, There's I never got it because I refuse to do it you because I, I ref- absolutely refuse to do that. Although I'm, I guess I'm giving them free publicity now, but it's in the whole context of I wouldn't give them free publicity just because they gave me a couple donuts. But in any event, so I, I'm thinking that's a I think that's a WTMJ field trip. So you got to get yourself vaccinated. Okay, I, I am working on that. I actually logged on to the North Shore Health Department because that's right. where I live. And it said they were all out of vaccines. So I have to search now for a different place. So but it, it's in the works. Um, yeah, here's a texture. Beer plus donuts, 
Um, what's not to like? <laughs> yeah. And an arcade. And an arcade and, <laughs> and shawarma. And mm-hmm. you're, so you're all, you're all set there. Okay. Well, we'll consider that. All right. Let us completely switch gears. This is an awkward segue because I want to talk about a very serious subject. The, the operative story, of course, from this week is the, the massacre at the grocery store in, in Boulder, Colorado. We're starting to learn more and more about the, the perpetrator. And it's interesting. There, there's, there's really two different theories that are emerging. The New York Times, um, suspect in Boulder shooting had previously alarmed classmates with violent out um, outbursts, but then they quote a guy saying he was a pretty chill kid from what I can remember. Says Mark Drokow, who said he often ate lunch with the guy during the short period that he attended the high school. He wasn't like a popular kid or anything, but he wasn't like the high school loser either. He was just kind of in between. He was like me, I guess. Well, I, I hope not. So that's the sense this one kid got. Most of the people, though, well, the New York Post has a story: Boulder shooting suspect had temper like a demon. Accused, the accused mass shooter had a violent temper that would explode like a demon and once threatened to kill everyone at a wrestling match, his former classmates have said. He was kind of scary to be around. His senior year during wrestle-offs to see who makes the varsity, he actually lost his match, quit the team, yelled out in the wrestling room that he was like going to kill everybody. Nobody believed him. We were just kind of all freaked out by by it, but nobody did anything about it. He was a pretty cool kid until something made him mad, and then whatever made him mad, he went over the edge way too far, the former teammate said. Yes, a, a temper like a, a demon. And, of course, that's... You know, that is not an uncommon sort of thing when you look back in retrospect and you say, boy, you know, this guy had all the signs of someone who was going to do something like this. The other report is apparently he bought this firearm about a week ago or so, and um, his I believe his sister-in-law saw him like playing with it in the house, and she told she took the gun away from him um, to stop stop waving this gun around in the house. And apparently, he he got it back, and we all know what the story was. But but here's here is really where we go from here, and and we discussed this from one perspective yesterday because whenever you have the, these these tragic situations, I mean, the knee-jerk reaction is okay. We, we we need more gun control. We need to take this kind of gun away or or whatever. And you know, everybody yesterday was appropriately so unhappy that the guy had okay this is another example where he used like a semi-automatic rifle in the shooting now the the week before the shootings in atlanta that was a guy that had a nine millimeter handgun um that he had purchased on on that day but we whenever we have these things that happen there's this knee-jerk reaction that says okay well we we have to we, we have to have this measure of gun control or that measure of gun control. And the problem is, short of confiscating guns, short of going in, as I was saying yesterday, there are 17 million of these type of rifles in private hands. And, and there might actually be more, but they, they say at least 17 million. Um, when if you're looking at those 9mm pistols that were used in the Atlanta shooting, there are there are probably 75 to 100 million of, of those. I mean, I own, I own a 9-millimeter pistol. So the question becomes, all right, when we're talking about gun control, what, what, what can we do that would prevent something like this? There apparently is nothing that would have stopped this man yesterday from buying legally the gun. He had a, a misdemeanor conviction, but not a felony conviction that would have been disqualifying. He'd never been a judge mentally ill. Now, you know, maybe some people should have seen this coming earlier, but but he'd never been. This isn't a situation where anybody had ever had him in the court system before. 
So the question becomes, what could we have done, if anything, to have stopped this? What could we have done, if anything, to have stopped the shooting in Atlanta? Now, in Atlanta, one of the things is their, their waiting period, they don't have a waiting period, essentially, for guns. And uh, the guy bought the handgun the same day he did the shooting. So maybe you could say, hey, if we had a, a 24 or a 36-hour waiting time, so you couldn't buy the gun and go then go and immediately commit the crime, maybe it would have been different. I don't know that that's really valid because I think that all probably means it's all he's going to do is do the shooting two days later. But I bring this all up because um, Robin Voss, who is the Republican Speaker of the Assembly, he's getting some heat because he does an interview and he says, look, here, here's the deal. Um, I I don't think there's much that the state, any state, can do about mass shootings other than the arrest the perpetrators after they commit the crimes. And, and his point being, we've got all these gun laws that are out there now, and again, short of saying we're going to go and we're going to confiscate firearms from people. We're, we're not going to allow people to own handguns. We're not going to own allow people to own shotguns. We're not going to allow people to own rifles. Short of, of actually doing that and confiscating the firearms, there, there's really... Voss's point is there, there's really, unfortunately, not that much we can do to stop this type of thing from happening because it's it's the perpetrator that, that does this. All right, our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think there are some reasonable, common-sense things that everybody should be able to uh, agree on. For example, I, I think, uh, I don't know, I, I don't understand why anybody needs or has to have or what the purpose of of having, you know, one of those magazines that has like 50 shots in it. I, I don't understand the purpose of it. But I understand even if you outlaw that, it, it takes just a couple seconds, you know, most it, most magazines, you know, what have eight or nine rounds in them. So it only takes you a couple seconds to reload. So you outlaw the, the, the giant clip, the giant magazine. And yes, yes, you know, maybe you, maybe you, you minimize the damage, but just a little bit, but, but you don't stop it. So our, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think living in the real world, Robin Voss is, is right that as a practical matter, other than arresting people, there's really very little that we can do to in, in response to these mass shootings, unless you want to say we need to now just go in and try to figure out a way to confiscate the millions of firearms that are in private hands nowadays. 855-616-1620. As a practical matter, is there anything that we could do to stop what happened yesterday or two days ago from happening, to stop what happened last week from happening. Is, is it really possible? 855-616-1620, and color me doubtful. And, and that's, I, I color me doubtful, because again, you can, you can nibble around the edges on stuff, but unless we're going to be willing to say we're going to try to confiscate every firearm that is in a private person's hands, you're, you're still going to have these things happen, it seems to me, when you've got the crazy people out there that decide to act out. All right, we discuss in a minute. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
Jeff, what can we do? Well, what do other countries do? And how successful are those gun control measures relative to ours? Well, okay, th- this is th- this is the fundamental question. In many countries, private ownership of firearms is not permitted, and it's punishable by up to five years in prison. But that's been the way the country ha- has has been. All right. It, 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 now, that's my point. I guess, theoretically, if you were to say we're going to wave a magic wand and we're going to say that the private ownership of firearms is not going to be allowed and we're going to figure out a way to confiscate everybody's guns and we're going to send people to prison for five years for possessing a firearm after January 1st of 2024. I mean, yeah, I, I understand how that would remove a lot of firearms from society. And, and yes, that would probably... Um, I, I don't know that that would lower crime dramatically because the bad guys aren't going to be giving up their firearms. But, yeah, if, if you want to talk about, OK, let's follow some of these measures and let's confiscate guns and let's try to get the millions of guns that are out there back. I just don't think that that is a practical answer to this. And while I'm open to things like, OK, do limits on the size of the of the magazine i think that you can do stuff looking at background checks but for example that wouldn't have stopped what's happened in the last two weeks so you know we yeah we we can make ourselves feel good we can pose for holy pictures but tell me what we do practically to solve this problem unless you want to talk about confiscating guns all right let's start with scott uh in south milwaukee scott you're in wtmj um, good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my phone call. Um, sure. On this specific topic, what I believe is, again, it's not the ultimate solution, but it, but I think it puts us in a better place is re- our red flag red flag laws. Sure. And the reason why I believe that is because, a, again, because the argument used by conservatives against red flag laws is that it is that it denies the person whose guns are being taken away of due of, of their due process rights. To which, to which I respond back to that, when you go before a grand jury per- procession or a FISA warrant, that whatever those processes go before a judge, the accusers whatever have to prevent whatever whatever sufficient amount of information to prove that they have a case, whatever. And so, and that's essentially how a red flag red flag law works. In uh, with a red flag law, the individual whose guns were confiscated. I mean, again, there has to be a high bar. Whatever, whatever, yeah. but but they get their due process within ten, within like ten to thirty days, depends on how the law. Yeah, is Scott, the, the only thing I disagree, the only thing I disagree with you about is, is you, you start off saying it's the conservatives don't don't want it. Actually, if you look at a lot of the opposition to red flag laws, it comes from the left who think that this is unfairly discriminating against people, you know, who uh, with, with mental illness and things like that. I, I I by the way have no problem with mental with red flag laws. I think that's the key is if you can identify people that have underlying mental health issues that make them likely to act out. Um yeah, I'm I'm with you. I don't think they should be able to get access to guns. I think that's where I'd start too. Yeah yeah yeah, and, and just like I said cuz in the case like in Colorado, again, if there was a red flag red flag law in place, the sister-in-law could have reported it whatever and that could have started and that could have started the process and then none and then none of this would have happened. And also again with with red flag laws Every time that, like I said, again, we can use, we can look at Wisconsin as an example, but every time that that proposed legislation has come up, the GOP yeah. legislature leadership has opposed it and won't even give it a hearing to bring it to the floor. Well, thanks. I mean, again, this when I talk about when, when I talk about like reasonable sort of gun control measures, I, I I think about things like trying to keep trying to keep guns not out of the hands of 
law-abiding citizen. And look, th- this is the va- This is what we get lost. What gets lost in the the aftermath of of tragedies like happened this week. of the people who own guns, or 99.9%, are are decent, law-abiding people who aren't using them to commit crimes or things like that. You've got the criminal element, and then you've got the the people that are clearly disturbed. And and to me, the the idea, it's kind of like, in a way, saying, and some texter just made this point, saying, all right, because we have people who get drunk and drive their cars and kill people, what we need to do is we should ban all cars. I mean, it, it's sort of like that. To me, what you have to do is you have to, again, be, have a common sense thing about this. And I do think, again, maybe, I, I'm not, I don't have a, I'm, I do not have a problem with like closing the gun show loophole. I know some people don't like to do that. But I, I think you can do stuff with background checks to make sure that the people who aren't supposed to have the guns don't have them. But beyond that, if you've got an idea other than confiscation, tell me what that would be. Back with more in just a minute. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Tom in Watertown. Tom, thanks for waiting. Hello. Hiya, Jeff. Hi, Tom. See, I'm going to bring this up again, and and I think it's a reasonable thing to do. And I think people ought to have insurance for having guns. And if you end up where you have an AK-47 or AK-15, then you pay a higher price for that gun. If you have multiple guns, you pay more for the uh, guns through the insurance. The insurance does a good job of looking after who owns what for cars and how many cars they have. And then also, if you lapse on your insurance... If you lapsed on a gun, then they would end up where they would notify the authorities that this man doesn't have any insurance on that car or, in this case, a gun, and they could confiscate your gun that way. Well, of course, the problem is we have, we have – well, let's stop you there, though. We, we, have, we have mandatory insurance for cars now, and, and people don't pay any attention to it. I, you and I might pay attention to it, but, you know, the vast – when you have a huge number of cars out on the road nowadays, you've got people that are driving those cars – without valid licenses or without licenses at all, most of those cars aren't insured. I mean, I guess if if it's not working for cars, could it really work for guns? Well, it would, if, it, if it did, Jeff, then it would also pay for some of these funerals that these families have to pay for mm. because the insurance would end up... If you had a record, say a court record, that would, get, that would make your premium go up on that uh, insurance. Yeah, there's got to there's got to be something there where people have to pay the price for what the heck they're doing. Well, no, th- I mean, I, yeah, I guess I just, I, I just, I'm not sure that something like that is going to deter. If if our purpose here is to deter criminal, okay, let, let let's say our, our purpose in cracking down on this is to deter um, the 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 senseless shootings. Let, let's forget about the mass shootings. Let's, let's just talk about the the senseless shootings that go on in, in every urban area and many suburban areas of this country on a daily basis. I mean, what um, what over a hundred homicides in the city of Milwaukee last year? So I mean, you know, we we focus attention when you've got the the seven people shot at once or the ten people shot at once. But let, let let's face it, this gun violence is going on on a daily basis. And I guess the the, the problem is. By by increasing by saying you have to have insurance, okay? Is uh, 
that I mean, my my goodness, a lot of the people that are robbing Seven Eleven stores or are sticking guns in people's faces to carjack them is is that going to deter them? And if you've got somebody who's mentally ill and decides that they're going to show up outside a a Super, supermarket and start engaging in mass homicides is is that going to really stop them? I guess I don't. I, I just don't see. I don't. I don't see that as solving the the problem. Let's talk to Gianni and Montello. You're on WTMJ. Yeah. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. And a timely topic. Uh, unfortunate that we have to talk about this. But hey, listen. You you posed the question. Um, what can we do about this? And you know. I, I don't think that there's anything that Robin Boss is, is correct. Yeah. I don't think that there's anything we can do with the problem of mass shootings because there are way too many guns in the United States. But we are a gun-loving nation. Um, it's the Second Amendment says that people can own uh, everything short of uh, a Tommy gun, and uh, I, I don't think you're going to you're going to solve the problem by confiscating guns. But you might solve the problem of most gun deaths or outside of suicide in the United States if you increase the penalty for for crimes committed with with a firearm you rob a liquor store you rob a bank uh it's 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 a minimum of 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 25 years in a federal pen um let's not rotate these people in and out of the penal system when they're using a firearm you use a firearm and you're done you're going away for a long time how does that sound what what say you jeff well thanks for calling well when when it comes to Mandatory penalties for the use of the firearm. You're, by the way, you're 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 talking to a guy who was in the U.S. Attorney's Office back in the time when we we did get serious on on crimes. There was a mandatory minimum five year non parolable penalty for committing a federal crime and using a gun. So you you um you you do a drug deal and you carry a gun. Boom, that's an extra five years on top of whatever the underlying sentence was. I I like stuff like that, but let, let's also understand. That the environment we're living in now, where you have lots of politicians, particularly politicians on the left, the same folks who denounce all this gun crime and stuff, who don't want to hold people accountable. Oh, oh, the 16-year-old, yeah, he had a gun. And my, my goodness. I mean, I, and Gianni, you just got me started. Okay, let, let's think back. The kid, the 15-year-old that showed up at Mayfair Shopping Center last November with a gun who walked in and shot, what, eight people? Shot eight people. Just started shooting randomly and then fled. That, that kid's being tried as a juvenile. We won't even wave that kid into adult court. And this is somebody who shot, and only but for the grace of God or bad aim, you know, we, we don't have eight people dead, that this this is it, and we're and we've got all these people. Oh, he's a juvenile. We shouldn't have to hold him accountable. I mean, this shows you that, that a lot of the same people who are again who who are railing about the guns don't want to have the people who are actually perpetrating the crimes and don't want to hold them accountable. Look, I don't mean to blow this off and say it's not significant. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I guess. When I, I understand the, okay, you, you shoot eight people and that gets attention, but frankly, I mean, in any given Saturday night in the city of Milwaukee, you'll, you'll have a story of one or two people who are shot. And, and again, I understand eight is more than two, but 
we've got this huge epidemic of gun violence that is out there. And it seems to me there's only one of two ways you can approach it. You can either say we're going to forget the Second Amendment and we are going to have the government go door to door and try to confiscate people's firearms, which I do not think is practical. I, I just don't think there's the will for that, and I don't think it's necessary. And again, I use this example, and this is not somebody who endorses crime or mass shootings. But again, you, you've got how many millions of cars do we have? Somebody gets drunk and drives and misuses that car. Does that mean we take all the cars off the road? Well, I understand maybe there's some people who want to take all the cars off the road, but you know that that's not a justification. What we need to do is a better job of identifying people who should not have guns in the first place, keeping guns out of their hands. And then, to your point, Gianni, when we have people who demonstrate that they are antisocial, that demonstrate that they are not a law-abiding citizen, we need, number one, to punish them for using the firearms or carrying the firearms. And then after they get out of jail, if they get caught with a gun again, we need to send them back to jail, if nothing else, to protect all of us. It doesn't stop the mass shootings. I confess that. But I don't know that there's anything we can do to stop the mass shootings because, right or wrong, this country isn't France. That's not how it developed. This country isn't the United Kingdom, and we have a massive private ownership of firearms that are out there, and I don't think anything's going to change with that. So maybe maybe we need to concentrate more on holding people on a daily basis who misuse guns, holding them accountable. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, if this isn't a mess, it will do till the real mess comes around. I'm talking about the the Tokyo Olympics. The Summer Olympics were scheduled to be held last summer in Tokyo. Obviously, because of the worldwide pandemic, that was not going to happen. So they were rescheduled for July of this year. Well, the problem is, as as we're seeing with the cancellation of tour dates by you know, by performers like Kenny Chesney, with the cancellation of so many festivals, like I say, Summerfest, for example, just to give you an example, delaying till September and uh, a number of the ethnic festivals canceling and all, all these different festivals and all these different events being canceled because even though we're starting to return to some sense of quote-unquote normalcy, we're realizing that the world isn't necessarily ready to say let's let's have you know a hundred thousand people hanging out in an Olympic Commons. So Tokyo, now here's the deal with Tokyo: they have invested. Uh, apparently, the budget has swollen to fifteen billion. That is B as in billion dollars, nearly three billion increased in in the past year. So they're. There's always been questions about whether or not it makes any sense to hold Olympics and do the the cities who have to build this massive infrastructure, do they get their money's back out of it? Well, in this particular case, it's looking like just a complete and total economic debacle for Tokyo. But even though though there's a lot of people saying we should just take take this off the, the table, Tokyo is committed to wanting to go ahead and do the games. Okay, so that's fine. Here's what they announced two days ago that's created even more controversy. Tokyo has said that the games are going to go on, and they will have a limited number of spectators, but people from overseas are not going to be allowed to attend the games. So if you are from Japan 
and you have tickets, you can you you can you can still go if you want to you want to see the swimming thing and you're from Tokyo and you buy the tickets you can do it, but um, what's going to happen is if you are not from Japan, you are not going to be allowed to attend the games. And so yes, this there are no exceptions to this. So what this means is, if you have you have a kid or a grandkid or a close friend who's participating in the Olympics. They've tried, they you know they've worked their entire life to be on the Olympic swimming team or or whatever. You are not going to be able to go to Japan and watch your child participate in the Olympics. Doesn't matter if you've been vaccinated, doesn't matter if you've had COVID, doesn't matter how many COVID tests you take, you're not going to be allowed to attend the games. Our number 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This does not seem to me to be any way to run a railroad. By that I mean, if you are so concerned with the safety, and and again, Japan's kind of a hotbed for this right now, but if you are so concerned for the safety of the participants and the officials and the other spectators, if you're so concerned about COVID that you can't allow family members of the athletes or close friends of the athletes or supporters of the program that you cannot allow them to attend. Well, it seems to me you might as well just call the whole thing off. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I'm trying to put myself in the position of, of a parent who has invested, encouraged, done everything possible to get my child to that level. My, my kid's now going to be, you know, swimming. This might be a once-in-a-lifetime chance. And Tokyo's telling me I can't come, even if I've been fully vaccinated, even if I, I've had COVID, even if I pose no risks. I, I'm sorry. I think that this is the wrong decision. And I think it's going to, quite candidly, if, if this is where they are, I think they might be better off just saying, look, we're, we're canceling them and we'll we'll see you a year and a half from now. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a moment. Jeff, considering about 75% of the Japanese public think the Olympics shouldn't even be happening, I'm not sure they'll have that many ticket sales without international interest. Yeah, it It is a complete and total mess, and, and it's getting worse. I mean, here's the deal. When... When they bid for the games, the Tokyo organizers said they think they said they, they said 7.8 million tickets would be made available. All right, um, 7.8 million, and typically about 20 percent of the Olympic tickets go to international spectators. Already, apparently, in advance of the Olympics last year, the 600,000 tickets to internet to Olympic events had been sold to people outside of Japan. 600,000. I, I don't know how many internally had been sold, but but all those 600,000 are now going to have to be refunded. And you, you want to talk about just this nightmare that's out there. They're going to have to be refunded. You're going to have capacity limits that they're going to put on. They haven't announced this because, like I say, they're even they're not going to have full venues. So if, if you go to, I don't know, gymnastics, and, and they're in some arena that seats 15,000 people, they're not going to allow 15,000 people in the arena. I, I don't know what percentage they're going to be, whether it's 10% or 20% or 50% or whatever, but it, but it's only going to be a fraction. I mean, this, from a financial perspective, is going to be a complete and total debacle. But I, I guess I'm just looking at it from this broader perspective that, at the very least, 
it seems to me that you should not bar parents or close friends. I mean, it, and I guess I don't know where you draw the line, family members, you know, whatever. But for these athletes that have trained their entire lifetime for this moment and have depended on, in many cases, the support of their family or whatever, this idea that you're not going to let them go, um, you know, you're not going to let them go makes no sense. Jeff, I say good for Japan, another country that knows how to put itself first. Well, why why is it putting itself first? I mean, you you can simply you could certainly say, hey, you know, before you're going to come into this country, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to have proof that you've been vaccinated twice or something like that. But once you've done that, I mean, is there any is there any reason for you know not allowing somebody to travel? Jeff, it's like a wedding. Lots of planning. It's not about you, the parent, the friend. It's about the athlete. That's all that matters. If they want to compete, they should be able to. The athletes are the ones who put in the time and effort. Okay, well, that, that's interesting for all you moms and dads out there who just got up at 5 o'clock in the morning and took your kid to the skating rink and traveled all around. You don't matter. It's not about you at all. It's just about the athletes. No, I'm sorry. I, and, and look, is it more important that the athletes get a chance to compete? Yeah, I get it. My point is, though, that there's no reason at all in a rational world why for example, family members. Actually, I would even say, uh, let's just, I think you could say spectators. People who have been vaccinated, you know, people who've been vaccinated and they've waited that waiting period, there's no reason why they shouldn't be if they want to go to watch their kids swim at the uh, Summer Olympics. There's no reason at all why they shouldn't have been able to do this. Uh, Jeff, my son is a professional athlete. Regarding Tokyo Olympics, not only was it discourage future athletes to dedicate four years to train, but it will also make future host cities rethink the investment needed to make upcoming games happen, to which I say amen. Okay, interesting and fun topics coming up in the next hour. Don't go anywhere. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, so Mike Spalding, before you leave, help me out. Is it warm in here? Or not or not particularly? I'm not particularly warm. Okay, no, the reason I, I, I bring that up is I had my I had my vaccination today at ten o'clock. Oh. And I'm just I was just sitting there, and I, my arm isn't hurting. They told me that that's something that happens, but I do acknowledge that I'm, I'm sitting there thinking I, I feel a little flush. I don't. I mean, it's fine. You know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not having like major reactions and stuff. But I'm thinking, you know, I think I've got a little bit of a touch of a little fever or something like that. So it's so funny. So I got vaccinated yesterday afternoon. Oh right, at yeah, three o'clock, and yeah. the whole day, I don't know. I had like a little bit of an earache situation, and I couldn't like get the fact that I got the vaccine. Again, I was lucky, no major issues. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. But I was kind of everything I did yesterday. I thought. I wonder if it's because I got the vaccine today. But your arm, I will warn you, it's, it's going to be sore. It's going to be sore, yeah. Because, well, I mean, I was reading because they, they shoot it into the muscle. It's mm-hmm. kind of like last year I got, at the same time, I got the flu shot and I also got the um, uh, shingle shot. I got the shingle shot and they, they put the flu shot, no problem at all. The shingle shot, because it went into the muscle, it yeah. hurt like hell. <laughs> it just did. And and it, this one, I think, goes into the muscle, too. But right now, at least knock on wood so far, not, nothing. Was the was the shot smaller than you thought it was going to be going in? I don't I know if look. I just like bought into the hype or whatever, but yeah, I didn't. It wasn't, the shot wasn't bad, I, I, but I don't look. I just, I you know, I had, no, well, this, this is a true story. I went in college. 
I, I dated a woman who was studying to be a medical technologist. You know, they draw blood and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it, it must have been love, even though the relationship didn't work out. But I, I let her practice on me. I let her practice drawing blood and stuff. And so, and I, I didn't, I, I mean, there, there was a time, I swear, my arm looked like I was a heroin addict or something, because <laughs> you, you get these needle marks. But I, I was letting her practice do it. And she was actually very, very good at it. Um, but I, I just, it was one of those deals where I, I knew she was doing it. I can't watch. I mean, I, I don't. I don't mind getting the shot. Don't mind having blood drawn. But I just look away. So I didn't even see this. I didn't even see the size of the needle. I wasn't planning on looking, and then I couldn't look away. Like I looked at it once, and I just and I was like, all right, I'm just going to watch it happen. Okay, all right. So it's not particularly hot. Well, I don't know. I was feeling a little bit flush there, but that's 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 okay. I'm trying to. I, I think uh, my wife is out of town yet again. So I think tonight it's going to be me and the dog, and probably throw a pot pie in the oven. I don't think there's going to be big plans for tonight. I think we'll be taking it easy. I think that's the safe move, I think. That that's the that's the safe move. Yeah. Um all right. Thanks for that health. Say <laughs> so, yeah, I'm okay. And Chris check in on me in about 20 minutes if I've like kind of passed out behind the microphone. No, that's not going to happen. All right. Reddit. You know, Reddit is a a social news aggregator, you know, on on the internet. And and they did something interesting with their users that actually I saw this story and when, whenever we do things like Pop Culture Corner, I always say, uh, go with your first instinct. Uh, because, you know, normally that, that's, that's the most interesting one, and it normally turns out to be the right one. This, this is something that really had me thinking, and I thought I'd, I'd do it as a, as a segment of discussion on today's program. All right, when we were kids, we, we, there were undoubtedly things that you really liked to do or to eat or to experience you know, a, a wide variety of things. You just absolutely loved it when you were a kid. And now that you are grown up, you, you hate it. Or if hate's too strong a word, you don't get why it was that you could have possibly liked this when you were a kid. And so there's a big story out there about Reddit, and that, that's what they did. They were asking their users to name these things. And that was the idea. It was the stuff that, you know, when you were a kid, you just absolutely loved doing something or there was something that you just absolutely loved to eat etc etc and now that you've grown up you look back and you go i just (laughs) i don't get what that was all about or yeah it was really kind of cool to do this as a kid but you know the thrill is gone once you get older our number is 855-616-1620 that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line i was trying to think of things that i used to like to do when i was was younger and, and by younger, I don't necessarily mean when you're five or six years old. I mean, I, I, I give you a couple examples to get this started off. I used to love to stay in hotels. I just thought it was kind of cool. Hey, you, you, you go into the hotel and you got the color TV there and you've got the swimming pool and stuff. I used to love to go to hotels. Nowadays, I, I, I don't know, I hate staying in hotels, but to me, it, it's kind of this nuisance. I would much rather stay at my own house in my own bed, having access to all my own stuff. And I I just, hotels, used to love them, not so much anymore. I was trying to think of different foods that I would have. When I was a kid, I used to love, and I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I used to love that Chef Boyardee, the ravioli that you could get that would come in the can, and, you know, you'd heat that up. I, I could have eaten that seven days a week, that the canned ravioli. Nowadays, 
the idea of and this if you love chef boyardee you know ravioli i i get it sorry i don't mean to be offended offensive but that nowadays the, the idea of of eating eating that for a meal it's like gosh what what was the appeal of that why did i think that that would have been a good thing all right let's have a little bit of fun on a wednesday afternoon 855-616-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line all right something that when you were younger you absolutely loved something you love to do, something you love to eat, whatever. And now, grown up, you just don't, first of all, you don't want to do it anymore. And secondly, you kind of wonder why it was that you liked it as a kid. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Well, it, I mean, things change over time, and it's real interesting. There was a story out there, that, and the question was something that when you were younger, something that you loved as a kid, something you loved to do, something you loved to eat, all those different things that now as you're grown up, Eh, not so much so. And I was using a couple examples. I used to love to go to hotels and stuff. Now, I mean, will I stay in hotels? I, absolutely. You, you know, want to go to different places. But the idea of, you know, oh, this is so cool. You're in a hotel. That That's not the case anymore. And then, again, for me, it was a couple foods. Okay, let's see. Jeff, I, I used to like getting hammered in bars or concerts for some reason. Now I do not even drink. Yeah, getting older, um, that's it. Jeff. Hostess cupcakes. I wanted cabinets full as a kid. Now, yuck. Absolutely. The, I, I, if my doctor's listening, I, I don't remember the last time I had one of those hostess cupcakes, but you know that the chocolate cupcakes with that like heavy chocolate frosting and then you open it, you bite into them and they've got that, that cream filling in them. I, I know exactly what she's talking about because uh, several years ago, I, I had, and it had been years and years since I had it, but I used to love those things as a kid, too. And then I can just remember, I, I had one, you bite into it, and just the, the overwhelming sweet and the sugar and things like that, I, I know exactly. A hostess cupcakes would be one of those things. I loved them as a kid. Nowadays, I don't think so. All right, let's talk to Tina in Green Bay. Tina, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Tina. Something you loved as a kid, but not so much now. Well, I grew up in the Plasky area, so we used to go to Bay Beach Park in Green Bay. Right. And now I went there, like, last summer with my grandkids, and I could not stand the the spinning and the noise and the smells. And, <laughs> and also growing up, we used to eat rhubarb with a big cup of sugar and just stick the chocolate in it. <laughs> I could never handle that anymore. <laughs> so, so you you had the roller coaster gene as a kid, but after you got older, you just didn't you didn't get it anymore, huh? No, no, not at all. No, I, no thanks to Cody. I understand that. Actually, see, I never got the roller coaster gene in my family. My my brother did. My brother absolutely loves roller coasters. Not so much me. Okay, Jeff, baking up a slice of bread into a golf ball si- into a golf ball size ball after peeling off the crust and eating it that way. I have no idea why I used to like that. <laughs> there you go, um, Jeff. As a 54 year old gal, when I was in second grade, I loved eating sardines in mustard sauce and I would smush them on saltine crackers. Now not ever. That's what Pam says. Uh, Jeff, I used to like amusement park rides that spinned, twirled, and flipped. Now just seeing them is too much for me. Um, that's it. Jeff, I did love that ravioli too. SpaghettiOs, the cheap swanson pot pies, oh those hostess cupcakes and sledding. But nope, 
not now. <laughs> that's, yeah, those Hostess cupcakes, that's a great example of this. Jeff, I loved watch the Three Stooges when I was a kid. No more. Um, Jeff, Jiffy, Jiffy Pop popcorn. Used to love it as a kid. Yeah, remember, I don't know if they still have Jiffy Pop, but you'd, you'd, um, it would come and it had the little metal handle and what you'd do is you'd put it over the stove and you'd wave it back and forth and, and, you know, it would pop. I, my guess is that probably went the way of the dodo bird once you had microwave ovens, but, you know, who knows? Um, let's see. Jeff, when I was a kid, I used to love those little Des- Debbie cosmic brownies. I could eat a box of them. Recently, I was at a grocery store and decided to, um, buy a box for nostalgia's sake. And my gosh, I don't even understand how, how I like them. I guess my palate has matured since then, and I, I kind of miss them. Uh, but I went ahead and I ruined them for myself. Uh, you know, I, I've told this story before. When I was a kid, when I was a teenager, the play, one of the places that we would hang out, I grew up in Glendale by Nicolay High School on Port Washington Road. There used to be a, a Barnaby's Pizza. And I've told the story, and we we would go to Barnaby's Pizza all the time, and, and it was it was a chain in the Midwest and stuff. Well, Barnaby's Pizza they, they gradually disappeared. There are, I believe, two left, and they're they're in. They're in northern Illinois, and one is kind of by the Arlington Park racetrack. So a couple of years back, my brother and I, and my brother, you know, he, he used to love Barnaby's as well. So we, we go, and we, we were taking a day at the racetrack, and we had the kids and stuff like that. So we decide, okay, we're, we're going to, we're going to, we've been telling these kids about Barnaby's and all that. We're going to make a, we're going to stop at the Barnaby's and wherever it is, you know, kind of by the racetrack. And we get there, and we go in. And and this one that they had there was just like I remembered it. I mean, it was like it hadn't changed from the 1970s in Glendale, Wisconsin. But, you know, you walk in, you kind of sit in the booths, and it also didn't look like it had changed at all since the 70s. And, you know, and then we, we order the pizza, and I don't know, just to the point like our, our, our texter was saying, I don't know if my tastes had changed or whatever, but, you know, you kind of take one bite into it and say, oh, this is this is, I guess, what I remember it being, but... <laughs> and of course, everybody's looking at us like we're nuts. I mean, what do you mean? This is the stuff that you'd been, you know, raving about? What can you say? Um, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, we grew up eating spam in a can. And I thought that was the best meat ever. To this day, I can't believe I put that in my mouth and I enjoyed it. Jeff, I grew up with Mark's Big Boy. Now, see, I, 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 I grew up, I loved Mark's Big Boy as a kid, and I think I'd still love it as a grown-up. Um, let's see, Jeff. I enjoyed uh, cannibal sandwiches with my dad. That would be like the raw beef. Uh, nope, not anymore. Same with herring. Um, somebody said Jiffy Pop still exists. Okay, Jeff. I used to put Elmer's glue on our hands and wait for it to dry and then peel it off. <laughs> We wouldn't do that. Um, okay. Jeff, uh, let's see. As a kid, I love the snow. As an adult, I despise it. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the thing when you um, you go from, oh, gee, I'm going to be able to play in this and make snowmen to, gee, I have to drive in this to get to um, work. Um, no question about that. Let's see. Um, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Loved them as a kid. Don't love them as a grown-up. Jeff, when I was young, I lived for snowmobiling. Now that I'm 53, I would rather sit in a recliner than go out in the cold. You know, I, I think you could say that sometimes about outdoor sporting events, and I, I hear that 
um, from some football fans who, when when they were younger, the idea of being able to go sit at Lambeau Field and watch the Packers, I, I mean, you, know, you, you just run through a brick wall to be able to do that. And now the idea is, well, I got to drive up to Green Bay and I got to fight the crowds and I got to sit on those cold bleachers and I got to drive back. No, I think I'll just go to the tavern and watch the game uh, there. That's yeah, it's it. Jeff, eating Spam. It was my folks' choice picnic food. And as a kid, I thought it was great. I haven't had any now in over 50 years, and I don't plan to. Um, Jeff, ingesting tons of sweets, candy cake, pies, now no nothing for sugar that that kind of happened to me with with sodas when i was a kid growing up i i mean i used to love pepsi and and coke to an extent too and then somewhere along the line a long time ago i started you know drinking diet sodas and now now if i would ever have a soda that that's sweetened i mean to me it's kind of like oh my gosh it's just so sticky and so sweet I, it's just i've completely lost the taste for that jeff those little hug juice barrels um now i think they're horrible yeah like the candy stuff um let's see uh jeff my college roommate and i bought a sponge bread wonder bread and he would squeeze it i mean really crush it and then watch it spring brag spring back then we'd eat it no more sponge bread yeah uh in the story with like the reddit users other things that they were talking about um let's see sleeping over at a friend's house used to be an exciting concept now even if it's 2 a.m., I always pay for an Uber ride to take me home. All I want is to spend the night in my own bed. A lot of people mentioning junk foods, um, gelatin desserts. And I never like that. Candy corn, excessive amounts of frosting. That would be the Hostess cupcakes. Canned pasta. That's my chef, Boy R.D. Ravioli. Um, fast food in general. Anyways. It's a walk down memory lane, but it does show how things change. So for our younger, pe- younger people who might be listening and you're thinking, you know, this is absolutely the greatest thing in the world that I'm doing now. All right, check back in 25 years because maybe your tastes will have changed just like I ruined Barnaby's for my recollections. I mean, I had these fond memories, still have fond memories of the people, but can't figure out why it was that I found the food to be appealing. All right, when we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.